Amen. It's good to be in the Bronx. All right. I appreciate the piles. They've uh, been great friends of ours for a long, long time. And uh, definitely somebody to look up to. And you guys should feel honored to have them here with you in New York City, for sure. Amen. But like uh, Sam said, just a little bit, uh, let you know who was talking to you today. Um, I was converted on the University of Kansas. I played football there. And um, I was converted. Yeah. And let me just say this. That was back when we were good. We won the Aloha Bowl when I was playing, but, you know, we just let that go. I just said they've never been the same since I left. But anyway, let me move on. But uh, I'm the youngest of eight kids. There's five girls and three boys. And, uh, yes, my hand-me-downs was not very pleasant. Made me tough, but that's all right. Uh, my older brother played at Oklahoma, and then my next older brother played at Iowa. And then uh, he actually played at the Giants for a year behind Henry Carson. Uh, so we had a kind of an athletic family in the boys. So it was a great time. I was converted to Kansas uh, back in 91. And then uh, on that Sunday, I got baptized. That Tuesday, we had Bible talk, and we had so many people there. Uh, Sean Wooten studied the Bible with me and baptized me. He was my roommate in college. And then we had so many people at Bible Talk, they just said, hey, y'all two need to go start your own Bible Talk. Just take some of these people and go. So two days after being baptized, I became a Bible Talk leader. And then uh, four months after that, I went into the full-time ministry. And they kind of put me in faster because I had a contract to play football in Canada. And they said, okay, you can go there or we would like for you to be in the full-time ministry here. So I decided not to play and just to stay in Kansas City and to go into the ministry there what we're doing. So I've been here 25 years. Um, then I was lucky enough to meet Lauren, my wife, and uh, she's a great woman from Louisiana, Creole woman. And, you know, I thought, I want to marry a, a white woman. No, 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 black woman, an Asian woman. And God just put them all together and shook them up and said, here you go. So, uh, that was all good. I'm very happy he did that. But uh, she was converted, like I said, in Manhattan in uh, 89. And uh, she was converted. She was married at that time. And then uh, her husband said, if you continue to pursue God, then I'm going to divorce you. And uh, she said, well, I'm going to continue to pursue God. And he divorced her. And, and I say that because it says in Mark chapter 10, no matter what you give up, God's going to give you a hundred times as much. And she gave him up and bam! I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm just talking about what the Bible says. That's all I'm saying. Just let it be. <laughs> but we have two great daughters. One's a senior in high school. She is a trilingual. She speaks French and Spanish. And she wants to teach English in a foreign country. Uh, she's a great girl. I'm glad she looks like her mama. And then uh, our youngest daughter, who's 15, she, uh, she's our second miracle child. She was born deaf. And uh, we were at that time living in Dallas, in the ministry in Dallas, and was asked to go to Oklahoma to lead a church. And the week that we found out, she was deaf. And so we thought, man, this is just 
horrible. And honestly, I was so angry with God because I felt like, why can't you let somebody else that's an obvious sinner have their kid messed up? Why? I'm a preacher. I'm a minister. I'm working hard for the Lord. Why? I mean, I had so much anger in me because of my child being born deaf. And he said, well, do you still want to leave the church? And we said, you know what? We're just going to trust God. And my wife was a lot stronger than I was during this time. We're just going to trust God. We're going to go. We're going to move to Oklahoma. We're going to leave the church there. So we packed up, moved to Oklahoma. We get down there, take our daughter to the doctor, and they said, you know what? There's something we can do. We can give her a cochlear implant. And so what they do, they put wires connected to your brain right from your, uh, basically miss your ear and go from your hearing aid to your brain. And they said, the thing about it, there's only two places in the country that does it, in California and Oklahoma. And then I'm sitting there like, oh, man. (laughs) I was so angry for that long. And God had a plan all before I had worked it out. The thought of even going to Oklahoma didn't cross our minds. God had that set up. He had the doctor set up. It was incredible. And I thought, you know what? I was a fool. I need to trust God. He had a plan for this all the time. We got to Oklahoma. Things kind of went a little weird in our congregation at that time. And so I had to take another job. And so I was leading the church full time and I became a firefighter full time. And it was pretty tough because we could not find anybody to insure us because our daughter was had a precondition already. And nobody wanted to take that on because each surgery was $75,000 just for the surgery. So I was able to get on the fire department in one month, got hired, and then they paid for the surgery. It cost us $500 to have both of these surgeries done for our daughter. It's just a lot of things that God has blessed me with. And I look back over this and I have to remember all the miracles God has done in my life. There's times that it was hard, it was tough during that time, but yet God was still faithful. Even when my faith was weak, God was faithful. We left there, we moved back to Kansas City. We've been leading the church there for nine years, so we've been leading churches for 15, but Kansas City for nine. And you may be thinking, what is in Kansas City? Well, we do have a couple of sports teams. <clears throat> but... um. There's a lot of great things that God is doing. We have a, let me just share one thing and I'm going to get into the message. You can't even hear me preach. You don't want to hear my life stories. I'm going to tell you about the word of God. We have a couple of guys, you know, one of our guys is a big graphic designer and he has this big company and he does great things and all kind of, he works for the Padres, for the Cowboys. He flies all over, does things. Well, his company does such a great job that the NFL asked him to do the Super Bowl this year. So when you're watching the Super Bowl and all those graphics and all those mechanical things are on video, it's your brother in Kansas City that's putting that on together. So there's more in Kansas than Dorothy and Toto. But some people think, you in Kansas, ain't nothing there. Well, there's also Kansas City, Missouri. There's Kansas City, Missouri and Kansas City, Kansas. And it's just one street that divides the city. And so somebody said they're from Kansas City. It doesn't mean they live in Kansas. They could live in Missouri, but we do live in Kansas. Turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter 2. Let's jump into it here. In the second chapter of Joshua, we're introduced to a woman by the name of Rahab. Now, Rahab lived in the city of Jericho. 
In fact, her house was built on the outer wall that surrounded the city, that fortified the city. Her house was there. So she could look out her window and see travelers coming from miles away before they reached the city. And when she does this, this, you think, wow, what is going on with that? But this was great for her because her occupation was a prostitute. So she could see men as they're traveling in before they get to the city, kind of spruce herself up, lean out, and kind of entice the men. Because that's what she did for a living. She sold herself for money to the men that came into the city. Now you look at that and you think, how many lives, marriages did she destroy? How many hearts did she break? How many families did she tear apart? All for the love of money. Now she didn't have to do this. Because even her family lived in Jericho. The Bible says her mother, her father, her brothers, her sisters. She wasn't forced into this kind of life. She chose to live this kind of life. But one day her life changed. And it wasn't just a simple day. It was an important day. And honestly, that's what today could be for every single one of us. Not just those that are visiting, but those that are already made a commitment to make Jesus Lord. This isn't just let's go to church. This is a life-changing time when you hear what the Word of God has to say for you in your life. And the thing I like about visiting somewhere, I don't know who's visiting and who's a member. So I'm looking at everybody. And I'm just letting you know, you need to understand, today is a life-changing time if you let it become a life-changing time. And she eventually met a man who loved her for who she was and not for what she did. And actually, he was a prince. And then they got married, they had a child named Boaz, and according to what we understand, they lived happily ever after, just as a fairy tale would. But I want to go back and talk about what happened before that time. Because one night, as she was in her house, two men came to her to spy out the land. And so she grabbed the man, and, and, and as they were in her house, she, what are you doing? What's going on here? And then the king sent men to get these spies, and yet she hid the spies from the king and sent them in the other direction. Look over in Joshua chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1. And the thing about Rahab that's so important, not just because she was a prostitute, but this woman was faithful to God. She was actually more faithful to God than the people that actually claimed they were children of God. And that's what I want to help us understand today. Her faith was so incredible that your faith, my faith, can grow from looking at Rahab's faith. In Joshua chapter 2, we're going to read the whole chapter, so just just work with me here. Now, I'm originally from Nebraska. You're like, where is that at, too? I know. (laughs) So if my accent is a little different than what you're used to, you just got to run with it. (laughs) Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come from, come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and enter your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. 
And as soon as the pursuers had got out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you, for when you came out of Egypt and what he did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, who, who you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you, do not, if you don't tell what we're doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was a part of the city wall. Now she had said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers would not find you. Hide yourself there three days until the return, and then go on your way. The men said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding to us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you are letting us down. And unless you have brought your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your family into your house. If anyone goes outside your house into the street, his blood will be on his own head. We will not be responsible. As for anyone who is in the house with you, his blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on him. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from this oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away, and they departed. And she tied a scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills forded the river and came to Joshua's son of Nun and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Let's go to God in prayer. Almighty God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for allowing us to be able to wake up and to come and worship you freely, Father. There are so many countries that cannot freely worship you like we do. And we thank you for this opportunity, and we pray now that all the distractions of the world will be gone. Help us to focus in on what you want us to do. Help us to hear it for our own hearts, not for the people sitting next to us, not for our spouses, our kids, or people that aren't here. I pray that you help us to hear what we need to hear for our own lives. Father, we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. The Rahab story is quite unique. Now turn back to verse 8. I want to show you something here in verse 8 and 9. It says, Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. Rahab said, Rahab said the whole city is frightened. Now you've got to notice what she said. They weren't frightened because there were such fierce fighting men. They weren't frightened because of the great number of people it was. They said, no, no, no. They were frightened because of what great things God has done for you guys. 
Because of what God did for these people. And these people were, again, the children of the people that were led out by Moses. The, the children of the people that were former slaves. They saw the Red Sea parted. They saw the pillar of fire at night. The cloud during the daytime. They saw the manna. They saw great miracles. And they're about to cross over the river. And they're still on the other side. They sent the spies. They came back. And she says, you know what? We're afraid because of what we heard God did for you 40 years ago. They were so fearful. And she was so faithful because of what God did in somebody else's life. Let me tell you something. I heard about the great things going on in New York all the way in Kansas. And that built our faith. Now you're living here in the miracle city. Is your faith still growing the same? So you got to ask yourself, she was faithful because of what she heard going on back then. Now Rahab, she had never experienced any of those things. She had never seen the manna. She didn't even know what it took to have her sins forgiven because God never revealed what kind of animals to sacrifice. God didn't reveal these things to her. All she had to go on was the miracles she heard happen in those people's lives. So I want to ask you today, is that enough for you to stay faithful? Maybe you're not on top of the mountain right now, but are you faithful because of what you hear going on in other people's lives? It's the same God that you have that they have. Does it increase your faith or does it have to happen to you before you become faithful? It didn't have to happen to Rahab and she was a prostitute sinning all the time. And we say we're children of God. Does our faith grow because of what we hear God is doing in so many people's lives? She said, I, I, I need a deal here. I want to make sure we're, we're, we're taken care of. He said, I'll tell you what, you tie this cord to the window and you bring all your family inside. And if you do that, we'll make sure not a hand is laid on them. Now, Rahab was a faithful woman. I'm telling you, when we're done, you're going to look at her a whole different way. Because imagine this. She has to go get her family. Now, it's a, probably an upstanding family. They live in the city. And she's saying, Mom, Dad, all brothers and sisters, I need you to come live with me. I know this is a house of passion, a house of lust, a house of immorality. But I need you to leave your comfortable house and come stay in my lustful house. You know how much convincing it must have took to get her family to do that? Then think about it. Sometimes we invite our family or we have a conversation they don't listen. We give up. We give up on friends. We give up on everybody. She didn't just give up. She said, not, we got a nice place to stay in. She said, come live in my lustful house. You know the thing about it? Because your life is more important than what you say. Even though she was living a sinful life, something changed in her that day she met the spies. And they said her life is different. Her life was so different, it convinced them enough to go live in this lustful house. Now I'm saying this because you got to remember, you can say all the right things, but it's how you live that counts. When I was in the fire department, I was the only black guy on this whole fire department in Oklahoma. We had a call we went to, and this guy had had a heart attack, and he had died. We got there to the house, and it's a firefighter, a driver, and a captain. So it was me and the captain. He said, Hooks, get down on him. In other words, he was, he was dead, so I was doing CPR on him. And it's not like in the movies where, oh, Billy, wake up. Billy, wake up. <laughs> you got to push hard. You got to crack some ribs. You got to get down in there. 
So I get down on this guy, older, older white gentleman. I get down on him, and I'm pushing, I'm pushing, I'm pushing. And all of a sudden, you see his pupils come up. And he just, he gasps, and he comes up. And he looks over at me and says, get this in off of me. And I'm thinking, I just saved your life. I said, all right. So I got up, I started walking away, and he started trying to say something, and boom, he was gone again. Captain said, Hooks, get back on him. I didn't have time to pray and to fast. I had to go right back and start. I ain't gonna lie, I pushed a little harder this time. But I was pushing, I was pushing. All of a sudden, boom, it was probably about 15 seconds. Boom, his eyes lit up again as people came up. And for me, I, I mean, I'm sweating. It's about 15 seconds, and it was like no time had passed for him. He said, didn't I tell you, in to get off of me? And I'm sitting there like, mm. <laughs> All right. So I get up, and I hear the ambulance coming at this point, and I'm like, thank you, Jesus, yes. <laughs> Boom, he goes again. Captain says, Hooks, get back on him. I'm like, <laughs> right away, I start going again, going again. Boom, they light up again. He said, I done told, and he said a lot more this time. And then the ambulance started walking in. Ambulance, we helped him get on, a, a, on, the, on the cart. And I'm having an oxygen, so you have to squeeze the oxygen to help him breathe. And so he can't say nothing because it's over his face. And I'm just squeezing, looking down like this. He went a big Eddie Murphy smile. <laughs> we get back to the station and everybody wants to just, you know, it's just this awkward silence. Because everybody just looking at me. How'd you feel about that run? Oh, I'm good. I mean, like, seriously, are you really good? I said, no, seriously, I'm really good. It is what it is. And you know what? I have more people come visit church after that incident than any other time inviting them. Because it didn't matter what I said to them day after day. What mattered is that when they saw it come down to reality, what the way that I lived showed them more than what I said. And this is what we got to understand. We cannot let the world influence us. We cannot bring the world into the church. We cannot let other people determine how we're going to act. We have to be the men and women that God called us to be. And that's what we need to be for him. Then you got to notice when the spies left, they didn't give her a deadline. They didn't say this is when we're going to be back. Actually, they went up in the hills for three days. They went back down. They started talking to uh, 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 Joshua. Hey, this is what happened, Joshua. They told him everything that was going on. So she didn't have anything but their promise to keep her faithful. Now, we're going to come back to Joshua, but look over in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31. Hebrews 11, verse 31. Now, the thing about Rahab... In Hebrews 11, we all know this as the Hall of Faith. This is the chapter that talks about all the great men of faith. You know, Abraham and Samson and Gideon. But look at verse 31. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. You know, there's only two women listed in the Hall of Faith. Sarah and Rahab. Out of all the great people he could have put down in the hall of faith, he chose to put Rahab in the hall of faith. Look over in James chapter 2. 
James chapter 2, verse 23. And the scriptures was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. But he has called, but he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. It even compares Rahab's faith to Abraham's faith. Look back in Hebrews 11, verse 39. Hebrews 11, verse 39. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what have been promised? You know, the Bible makes it clear. Rahab was a woman of faith. Why? Because she hid the spies, and then she sent them off in the other direction. Now, this was so important because when the king came and asked her, for her to do what she did, her life was at stake. It wasn't just, oh, I said this, no big deal. No, no, no. Her life was at stake. So then the spies go back. They tell Joshua all that happened. He says, great. It took him three days to get back. Then he got there. It took him time for them. Imagine all these millions of people crossing the Jordan River to get to the other side. And then all of a sudden, now they're setting up stone pillars as a remembrance for the kids. And then after that, they uh, all of a sudden, now all the guys take up the covenant of circumcision. So they get circumcised. Then they got to have time for healing. And then after that, they uh, reinstate the Passover. So now, boom, they're having all these sacrifices. All this is going on. And Rahab is sitting in her house thinking, when are they coming back? All she had was their promise, we'll be back. Didn't say when. Didn't set a deadline. She just, they just said, we will be back. Then in chapter 6, all the marching starts. So now the people come up, you just see them walking. I mean, again, from her window, you can see everything. She sees them coming from miles away. And now they get to Jericho. She's like, Mom, Dad, come on, I told you the time is right. Here we go. They walk around the city without saying a word and then leave. You know, she felt like, what? Where y'all going? What you doing? And then the next day, they come back again. She's like, no, no, here they are. Come on back, come on back. Walk around quietly, and then they leave. Next day, quietly, then they leave. Next day, quietly, then they leave. And now you imagine what her sisters is saying to her. You know men lie all the time. They told you something. They ain't coming back. Now she got all this in her ear. They ain't coming back. They lie all the time. Men lie to women constantly, girl. You got us in this lustful house waiting for them. And look at them. They ain't thinking about you. What, what kind of army is that? They laying on the ground. Now they're having a barbecue. I mean, what, what kind of technique is rolling around, holding yourself? I mean, it's like, what, what in the world are they doing? That's not an army that's going to take over Jericho. She's got all this in the air. You ever feel like that? When you make a decision to live the right life, all of a sudden people just start yakking at you, yakking at you. All she had was the promise of those two spies that kept her faithful. You know, this is the amazing thing about Rahab. She's got the cord hanging out the window. Now, again, her house was where everybody could see it. Now, you know, somebody had to say, why the cord hanging out your window, Rahab? <laughs> if she tells them, the deal's off. Because it says you can't say nothing. Yep. 
Well, none of your business. Somebody else, why'd you say it? Now, she could have thought, well, if I tell them, only person I promised was a spy, they ain't going to know that I told them, so don't worry about it. She could have thought like that, but she was a faithful woman. She said, you know what? Even if the spies don't know, the God of heaven, the God they serves, know what I do, even when nobody else is around. So I'm going to do the right thing. I'm not going to I'm going to keep my promise to God. Let me ask you this. So many times we say, Jesus is Lord. Is he still Lord? Is he Lord of your time, your money, your energy? Is he Lord? See, this is what we got to understand. If Jesus is Lord, let him be Lord. Just because he's not right there in your face does not mean he's not watching you and what's going on. But can you imagine what it must have been like in that house when they came and then they left? They came and then they left. And all she had was a spy's credibility. Now, all that's my introduction. <laughs> I ain't got no watch on. But I'm going to pose my, my, my main points in a question for you here. Because what tactical knowledge did the spies need to have when they went to Jericho? Let, let me rephrase that, for example. What did they, did they need to know how thick the walls were? Is that why they spied out the land? No, because they had no idea what God was going to do with the walls. Well, did they need to know um, what kind of weapons they had in the city? No, because they had no idea what God was going to do. So why did these spies go to Jericho? I'm going to tell you this. I believe God let this happen for a specific reason. Because he knew the faith of Rahab. And he delayed his people conquering the land to rescue one woman, Rahab, in that city. He said, that's the kind of person I need in my line. That's the kind of person I need because of her faith. She didn't even know or see the miracles that God had done. But she walked by faith, not by sight. And God says, you know what, we're going to delay process here because I need to get this woman. Now, let's, let, let's be real. To live on the city wall was not the most popular place to be when God brings the walls down around Jericho. But of all the places on the seventh day, when that trumpet sounded and the walls start coming down, everything started crumbling around except the place where Rahab lived. You ever felt like that? Like everything's crumbling around you. My health's getting bad. My kids are sprout horns instead of wings. Uh, I just feel like my job's a mess and I just came to subways. I always like something's going on. And what's going on with the country? What's going on with the world? I don't know. feel like everything around you is crumbling. But those that are faithful stay safe and a refuge in the Lord. And here's the thing. All she had was the promises of these people. They did not say when they were coming back. And you know, you and I have the same kind of promise. Because there was a man that came to rescue us. And he left. And he didn't say when he's coming back. All he says, you need to live the right life until I get back. So no matter what's going on in your neighborhood, no matter what's going on in the community, in the government, no matter what's going on in your own personal life, when the walls are crumbling, you still need to live the right life because he's coming back. 
Let me close out with this. Matthew chapter 1. If you're here visiting with us today, this can be a life-changing day for you. Not just a church service, but you know what? You need to say, you know, I don't understand. I, I need to study the Bible. So, you know, I tell you what, whoever brought you today is going to ask you to study the Bible. Oh, it's all quiet in here, Sam. What happened? <laughs> if you brought a friend, you need to say, you know what? That guy from Kansas said, I need to ask you to study the Bible. So I'm going to ask you to study the Bible. Now, if your friend doesn't, the person that invited you doesn't ask you, you need to look at him and say, well, what's wrong with me? Why don't you study the Bible with me? Boy, it's some quiet dog. Everybody was laughing for a minute, then it just kind of shut down. I'll see where we got to go with this next time. Huh? Matthew chapter 1, verse 3. Judah, the father of Perez. Now, I'm not good at all these names, so we just going to, you know what I'm saying, I'm just going to be like coughing and sneezing, y'all just know what I'm saying. And so, <laughs> whose mother was Tamar, Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Amenadab, Amenadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Solomon, Solomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obadad, whose mother was Ruth, Obadad, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. All this being said, why? Because Rahab the prostitute. In every other scripture, her name is Rahab the prostitute. But when we talk about the lineage of Jesus, now what she did in the past is irrelevant. Because now Jesus says, I came to set you free. I came to set you free in Jesus. Who you were is irrelevant. Who you are now is what counts. And this is what he said. Jesus said, God said, you know what? I need to save her. Why? So she can be one of the grandmothers of my son, Jesus. That's why I'm holding back the invasion to make sure this woman is safe. See, it doesn't matter what you did in your past. It doesn't matter what your life was like. If you are in Jesus, you are free. And that is the one time we can honestly look and say, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty I'm free at last. Because I'm going to tell you, you didn't land on Jesus. Jesus landed on you. It is important for you to understand what God is talking about. Rahab the prostitute, Rahab the righteous woman of God. And to God be the glory. Amen. Amen. Amen.